humans, humans, how are you out there? Hello, this is not pre-recorded. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950. I'm talking to you from the bunker in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. How are you? Happy Saturday to you here in Minnesota. It is a dreary, rainy, but hopefully soon sunny Saturday. And I am thrilled to be talking to you live because Listeners, you know I love to do this show live because I get the chance to talk to anybody if you want to call me. And uh, I'm going to give you the number, 952-946-6205. I would love to hear from you uh, today. We have a really, really great show. I mean, usually we have a great show, but we have a really, really great show today because for the big interview, I have a 12-year-old boy – Grayson Lee White, who's written a phenomenal book that's been showing up in Target stores titled Dotson. And and you're going to love the interview with uh, Grayson and his mom, Molly. Then uh, for our featured idealist, I'm going to talk about an organization that pays pays out the medical debt, satisfies the medical debt of of humans. And they've done incredible work. It's called Rest in Peace Medical Debt, RIP Medical Debt Organization. You'll love that. We're going to talk about what's going on in Florida with teachers and the education system down there. I fear a harbinger for other things to happen in other places in our country. And then, um, you know, depending on how much time we have, you know, we'll talk about some other things. And, of course, I'll talk – we'll do my C block where I'll talk about my work as an idealist. So, and then um, at the end of the show, I, I do have some sad news uh, to pass along to you. So, but let's begin with the happy news. And that is um, uh, this book titled Dotson. Uh, do I have Grayson Lee White and his mom, Molly, on the line? Are you there, Grayson and Molly? Yeah, we're here, Ellie. Oh. Happy to Okay, you're cutting out a little bit. We've got to watch out for that. Uh, so, uh, Grayson and Molly, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. I'm thrilled to have you here on the show. Uh, now, listeners, I let, need to let you know that Grayson's name is a pseudonym, okay? And Molly, we're not going to use last names here. And uh, <clears throat> it's an unfortunate reality of what's going on in our world right now uh, that we need to have some protection of privacy um, as it relates particularly as to the subject matter here, because Grayson, is it okay if I let everybody know that you are a 12-year-old transgender boy? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. With the exception that now he's 13. Oh, now <laughs> that he's 13. Okay. All right. Grayson, um, and of course, uh, I didn't do that needlessly, that disclosure, because you've written a book about realizing <clears throat> that you truly are a boy. Do I have that right? Yes, yeah. Okay, all right. So, Grayson, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book Dotson, D-O-T-S-O-N? Um, well, it started, um, it kind of starts in the recent times, um, starts kind of in my journey and what I've gone through recently, but then it brings you back to way back when I was just like a little kid, um, and it tells you the story, it goes basically back up right back to the recent times and it just tells my journey and these little stories that make it a little bit more fun to read. Give us uh, give us one of those stories that you write about, Dotson. Or Grayson, excuse me. So one of the things people wouldn't 
necessarily think this is a huge thing, um, but getting my hair cut shorter was a big deal for me, and one of the stories is about that. Okay. And and tell us about that. Tell us what happened. Um, well, I think I'd always, um, if I would take a shower and my hair was wet, I would always kind of tuck it back behind my neck so that I, you couldn't see that it was longer. And I wanted it short for a while, um, but I it was, it was right before I went into first grade, and I wanted my hair short, I guess. And so I finally um, asked my mom, and she was like, okay, well, if you really think you'll like it. And I was like, yeah, I will. And so then I went to the place, and I was like, I don't really know exactly what I asked for. But looking back now, it wasn't the greatest haircut ever, but I really liked it then because it was it was short, and I thought I looked like a boy. It was a boy's haircut. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and Grayson, because um, we have some listeners that may not fully appreciate what we're all talking about, is it okay if I let everyone know that when you were born, the technical phrase is you were assigned female at birth, right? Yeah. Okay. And then as you got older, you realized that that's not who you really are that you really are a boy, not a girl. Do I have all of that right? Yeah. Okay. And Grayson, can you tell us, and, and you know, um, you and I have never met, so I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't know where all of the, um, uh, the buttons are that I may push here, so just bear with me, okay? And it's okay for you to say I don't want to share that, but can you, can you explain to the, the listeners when when was it that you realized that things weren't right around your the gender identity? Um, well, I was thinking about this, but honestly, I can't remember a time where I felt like a girl ever in my life. Really, I can never remember that. So it was from as as far back as I can remember. I've always known I was a boy. Okay, that's that's a, that's a great answer. Okay, thank you for that. Molly, can I ask you, when was it that you and your husband picked up that something was going on with, with Grayson relative to um, his gender identity? Yeah, um, I can specifically remember, you know, Grayson has an identical twin sister. And so watching the two of them, even, you know, at one years old, two years old, and the differences in what they wanted to wear or would wear was something that was pretty obvious. Grayson always wanted to, you know, wear T-shirts and shorts where his twin sister would, you know, be excited about the dresses that we had had for them. Um, At two and a half years old, Grayson actually asked me on 4th of July while coming up um, from a bonfire outside, why did God make me a girl? I'm supposed to be a boy. And that was at two and a half. Wow. And that was really where my eyes were, you know, open and I had so many questions and I made so many assumptions based on my small understanding. Um, so it was about two and a half when he started trying to communicate. And then from there on in every way that he could was telling us that he was a boy. He would say, sometimes I think my, my mind keep secrets from me or, you know, he would make comments and and talk a lot about that. He felt that he liked boy things. He never really said I am a boy until right before he socially transitioned and changed his name um, in second grade. 
But up until then, he, he definitely gave us all the signs and told us. And in fact, Dotson is actually um, something that he began to refer to himself as when he was explaining to me at four years old that he knew he wasn't a tomboy. Um, he A tomboy is a, he thought a tomboy meant a girl who likes boy things, and he felt like he's not a tomboy. He was a Dotson because he knew in his in his mind that he was my daughter, but he felt like he was my son. And so <laughs> Dotson was the word that he used until we understood the term transgender. Wow. Wow. Grayson, you're one smart little kid. <laughs> <laughs> I think I... <laughs> no. I, I didn't hear what he said. Sorry. He said, oh, I think I was smarter then. <laughs> <laughs> so, Grayson, you and on top of all of this, so, of course, gender identity is part of human authenticity, but also other things are like being a writer. So when was it that you started writing things? Well, I always have liked to write. I remember this one time when I was talking to my mom. She was um, doing some work on her computer, and I wanted to, I called it a conversation. I wanted to have a conversation with her, and um, but she was doing some work quick, so I decided I would just write instead, and I started writing a story, and I have all these stories in my closet, like a bunch of piles of stories, and I just read them sometimes. Talking to you. And they're, it's kind of funny to read them, because they're not great, but I've been writing since I was like... Like what? Probably four or five. Like as soon as you could, right? Like yeah. Grayson could read pretty early and started writing pretty early, but he started to say he wanted to be an author when he was like five or six, a published author. Oh my (laughs) god. Okay, well, and Grayson, by the way, most writers would say the very same thing about stuff they wrote before. You know that it wasn't really very good. Okay, and of course the (laughs) the goal about being a writer is to is always about trying striving for perfection. So now, now Grayson, you and your mom, Molly, have said that it's okay if callers call in and ask questions, right? Do I have that right? Yeah. Okay. So, yep. lis- so listeners, this is a rare opportunity for you to have the chance to talk to a very, very intelligent um, uh, transgender boy and his mom. And so, yeah, and... So please, if you want to ask Dotson or his mom a question, give us a call. Excuse me, Grayson. Sorry about that, Dot. Grayson, Grayson and his mom a question. Uh, give us a call at 952-946-6205 because um, they're happy to talk with you. Now, um, Grayson, talk to uh, – well, or Molly, talk to us about the process of getting this book done, okay? Because it's pretty rare that an 11-year-old – then 12-year-old, would get a book published. And so, Grayson, you had to first take some writing classes. Do I have that right? Yeah, but that wasn't um, necessarily for this. That was more just because I like to write. Okay. Um, but, I mean, I did start writing Dotson when I was, like, really young. How old was I? Probably. Um, I'll just say real quick, the we started writing the different stories and aspects of what are now in Dotson on a road trip up to visit family where um, Grayson, his sister, myself, we all 
talked about certain big moments and some small moments, and we all agreed on which ones, and we all wrote about it from our different perspectives. And it was a really fun exercise. It was meant to kind of pass the time, but what it turned out to be is so much bigger. And when we ended up sharing some of that with friends and family and and people at at work, and we got a lot of feedback that people felt like that was stories that should be out in the world. And so that was kind of what started. So to write down and think about the stories was very quick, easy process. And Grayson was always the um, was always like the humor and the the true authentic perspective. And so that piece was easy. The opportunity with Target, we know we have a lot of privilege and some of the connections that we had. And as they were looking to bring the voice and experience of a young transgender boy to their shelves. Um, they reached out and gave so many opportunities to us and to Grayson with partnering them up with an editor and a publisher and an amazing writing coach. So I would say, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Grayson, we, you learned so much from that coach and that whole process. Yeah, it was a really great experience to have, especially because I want to be an author. <laughs> well, Grayson, but, uh, you, you are an author. So just let's make sure you yeah. let's make sure we got that in the present tense, okay? Yeah. Um, and by the way, not only are you an author, but you've got a number of reviews on the Target website, but you also have close to thirty reviews and five stars on Goodreads. And let me tell you, Grayson, that's not easy to get, okay? Yeah. So you know. Now listen, we've got a caller on the line, Rachel from New York, who I happen to know, Grayson. Rachel from New York, are you there? I'm. Hey Ellie, I'm here. Hey, um, it's great to hear from you. Do you have a Do you have a question for uh, Grayson or for Molly? Oh God, comments, um, Grayson, you are a rock star. Um, please make sure you tell us how we can go about um, purchasing your book. I would love to um, read your writing, um, Molly. You um, don't even realize what how your strength as a parent. Um, and doing the right thing and what's best for your child. Um, my heart just goes out to you. The, the strength that is needed to do what you know is right for your child, um, it just never can be taken for granted. Um, not all of us have been that lucky, and it just uh, warms my heart that when I hear these stories. So thank you, Molly. Thank you, Grayson. Rachel, you've got some. I've got some tears in my eyes right now for what you just said. So, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I do. Can you hear us? Is Rachel able to hear us? Yes, I think so. I I just want to say thank you for calling and and for sharing that. And you know, I do hear comments from from people that say like, "Wow, what a great parent." And to be honest, I I really appreciate that sentiment. And I my heart breaks that other children that are similar to mine haven't had that same experience because to me it's just so I don't know any other way right like this is an amazing child who has actually taught me so much more than I've taught him to to be honest and I I really do hope that getting Grayson's words out there can help some other parents that might not be as open and understanding quite yet to really open their their heart and their mind and to see what support can mean for these amazing kids. Well, well, Rachel, thank you for calling. It's good to hear from you. 
Thank you, Ali. All right. Take care, my friend. Um, Grayson, um, you know, this show is about idealism and idealists, okay? Oh, oh, hold on a second. Before we do that, Molly, uh, Rachel asked where, where uh, she can buy uh, Grayson's book. Is it, am I right that it's in, it's in many targets and you can go online to Target and order the book? You're absolutely right. At this point, um, it's exclusive at Target. In the middle of May of 2023, you should be able to find Dotson on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. Okay. And right now, it's in most, I think, so far, every Target we've checked out and we've gotten lots of communications all across the U.S. that it's in that it's in all Target stores and Target.com. What great exposure. I just... <laughs> I am so jealous. Okay, but, all right, Grayson, this show is about idealism and idealists, you know, people who are working to change the world. Do you think you're an idealist? Um, I was recently educated on exactly what that means, but after after hearing it, then yes. Okay, and you, and, and tell me, wh- why do you, what made you an idealist? How did um, you get, how well, did you get that way, wanting to make a different, positive difference in the world? Um, well, my mom helps a lot because my mom is definitely like that. Um, everything she does is trying to make someone's life better. So, um, but just writing the book, I knew, or I hoped at least that it would make, um, some kids like me who would hope, I hoped it would make their lives easier and, um, for their parents maybe to be more supportive if they can understand exactly what their kid is feeling because it's kind of hard to say. So. Oh, all right. Well, Grayson, you are a rock star, okay? And mm-hmm. um, I so look forward to someday meeting you in person because I know Molly will make that happen at some point. Oh, um, yeah. And I look forward equally uh, to the fact that you're going to write more, okay? And when your next book comes out, um, assuming I'm still alive and still running this show, um, let me know. We'll have you back on, okay? <laughs> okay. Yeah, the net, the book he's writing now, he's not sure if it will get published. It's about World War II. He loves historical fiction. <laughs> uh, well, I happen to like <laughs> about World War II as well. So, uh, Molly, uh, the last thing I want to say is this. Um, thank you to you and your husband for loving Grayson. It is not a given right now where we are as a country. It's not a given that that would be the case. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you for having us. Um, Grayson makes it very easy, and I'm sure many other kids do too. And so let's just hope that, that this doesn't seem like a, like a rarity, that's for sure. Yeah. These are, these are amazing children that we can learn a lot from. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, listeners, uh, we uh, have been speaking with Grayson Lee White and his mother, Molly, about his book, Dotson, uh, which came out in May of this year. And it's available at Target right now. Uh, come next May, it'll be available on Amazon. Go get the book. Read the book. Share the book. Do all kinds of things because it's a phenomenal book. And Grayson and Molly, thanks so very much for being on LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Take care. Listeners, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about RIP, rest in peace, medical debt. 
a very, very idealistic organization. Thanks. Radio. If you're watching on Facebook Live, you're seeing me doing a little bit of seat dancing. Uh huh, uh huh. Oh, yeah. I get to pick the music, so I get to know what I'm going to be dancing to. Okay, all right. So uh, I don't know about you, but I'm like totally energized by that interview with Grayson Lee White and his mother, Molly, about his book, Dotson. Wow. <laughs> That's all I can say is just wow. Oh, and you know what? Come back to this show on podcast, okay? When you get depressed about the world, come on back and listen again to that interview and listen to the voice of a human, young human thriving because he's loved. Think about that. Okay. All right. So, uh, by the way, I have no show notes whatsoever for this show. I did not have the time to write out show notes. So everything you're getting is ad lib. I don't know. It could probably go pretty badly. But here we go. You know, uh, featured idealist here is going to be is a group organization called um, uh, Rest in Peace Medical Debt, RIP Medical Debt. And this is based on an, on, uh, an NPR story dated August 15, 2022, by Yuki uh, Noguchi, um, who I adore because she's always got some really great pieces. But it is about an organization started by two former debt collectors. So two guys that used to collect de- debt, okay, and we know the stigma attached to debt collectors. They, they decided, um, and it goes back to Occupy Wall Street, how they corresponded with some of the Occupy Wall Street people and it started to change their view about the world. And they went from debt collectors to philanthropists. We're talking about a man named Craig Antico and another man, Jerry Ashton. And what they did, they decided that they, what they would do is rather than collect debt, is that they would buy debt and then forgive it. So the way the debt... Uh, you know, the debt work world works and we're talking about medical expense debt. That's really what we're talking about, medical expense debt. So debt from hospitals, debt from doctor's office, debt from dental offices, okay? That the way that that works is that those organizations, let's say you owe them money, they try and collect for a period of time. Then they hire a debt collector, okay? So – to, to, to go after the, the debt. And when they do that, they discount it. So they, you know, instead of trying to, you know, trying to, they, the, instead of it being $100 worth of debt, the debt collector will, will do it and will take a fee out of whatever they recover. Okay. And then if the debt it gets so old that it's not going to be recoverable, then the, what the hospital will do is they'll discount it like they'll, they'll, they'll take a dollar for $100 worth of debt that they give to the debt collector and whatever the debt collector collects above a dollar, uh, guess, you know, they make money that way, okay? So, so what these two people do, uh, Craig Antico and Jerry Ashton, is they created this organization, RIP Medical Debt, 
to buy up medical debt. Now, now here, let me give you a couple of statistics here. All right, half of all Americans, half. Okay, so where where are we at? Uh, I don't know. One hundred and seventy million Americans. Half of all Americans. So one hundred and seventy million Americans have gone into debt because of medical or dental bills. A quarter of Americans have debt of medical debt of more than of five thousand dollars or more. Think about that. I know as I'm talking to you right now, some of you who are hearing my voice, some of you have medical bills, dental bills that you've maybe put on your credit card or that you're on a payment plan for. I've done that. Okay. Yeah, I've done that. I've called up the hospital and said, hey, um, I can't, you know, we're going to have to break this up into payments. And, you know, and the the medical providers I've dealt with, they're like, oh, no problem. We'll do that. And they don't charge, you know, I didn't get charged interest. So, all right. But those statistics and, and of course, you know the emotional toll that this takes on people, right? You know, debt generally, but debt related to medical bills and stuff like that because what that does is it causes people to decide they're not going to go back and get more medical care because they've already got too much debt. And so, of course, then then not only does their mental health suffer, but then maybe their physical health. It's a, it is a horrible snowball effect. Horrible. Okay. Um, there is a mechanism uh, with hospitals can uh, deal with the debt on the front end. Um, it's called charity care. And, and that's not a it's not a bad phrase, charity care. It's a phrase used in the industry, and hospitals can do that. And they, but you've got to ask for it, and then you've got to be of a certain dollar level in terms of income. Okay, you can't be over it. What um, rest in peace medical debt has done is they've decided that they will they will give the debt. They will uh, they will pay the debt of people who are. Four times the poverty level in America. So for a single person, four times the poverty – right now the poverty level for a single person is about $13,000, okay, per year. That you're, you're considered poor if, you make, if you're single and you don't make more than $13,000 a year. Now think about that, okay? But you make $500 over that. You're not considered poor. It's just amazing. So what they've done is they've said, we will, we will receive, we will pay off the debt of people making four times the poverty level, which is about, you know, $50,000 for a single person and $108,000 for a family of four. Okay. So, I mean, so this is literally going into the middle class and trying to take care of their, of their debt. Um, and uh, here, I mean, they've had great results. So since they started doing this in 2014, okay, they have forgiven. So they buy the debt for people, you know, who owe money to hospitals. They, they buy the debt, okay, and then they forgive it. They pay off that debt to the hospital. And so the person who had the medical debt no longer has to pay anything. They have, they have forgiven six point seven billion that's with a B in unpaid debt. Okay? Helping over three million people who had been indebted to medical providers. Mackenzie Scott, you know, the ex wife of uh You know I'm talking about Jeff Bezos. Excuse me, Ellie. That's why you don't have your show notes. Um uh, Mackenzie Scott gave this organization, RIP medical debt, fifty million bucks in late 2022. So, 
great. Go check out the the, the article by Yuki uh, Noguchi um, on NPR. It's titled "This Group Groups Wiped Out Six Point Seven Billion in Medical Debt," and it's just getting started. Okay, wonderful thing, great idealist, and it shows. Okay, you can go from predatory to philanthropist. Philanthropist, you know what I mean? Okay, boy, it's a you know what? I'm totally sober, and it's just been one of those days, okay? Um, and so there you go, okay? All right. We're going to go take a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about what's going on in Florida with teachers. Thanks. And we're back, Ellie Two Point Radio. So you um, you're you're getting me without my show notes, and I'm tripping over words and all of that stuff. That may be turning off some of you, and others of you it may be like, "Oh gosh, I really like Ellie now." I don't know. I didn't know she was so human, and I am. You know, I am not nearly as polished. Well, I don't even even nearly is not the right word as polished as other um, hosts on this station. And um, and that's just you know that's just the way it goes. Okay, and uh, but I am human, and and uh, thank you for putting up with uh, my humanity a little bit this morning. All right, I want to talk about what's going on with teachers in Florida, but a little bit about America. So right now, according to the National Education Association, the NEA, there is there is a deficit, a shortage of three hundred thousand teachers in America. Right now, okay? In Florida, uh, that I want to talk about specifically, they have 9,000 unfilled teaching positions. Now, that may have something to do with the fact that teachers in Florida are paid about $15,000 less per year compared to average teachers in other places in America. It makes Florida somewhere like the 47th or 48th worst state for teacher pay and probably – and I'm sure teacher conditions – um, in the country. And you may have been following uh, the fact of what's going on down in Florida, okay, that Ron DeSantis is trying to hire um, replacement teachers uh, without doing the hard work of maybe paying teachers for what they're worth to keep the existing teachers and maybe attracting back teachers who have left. No, no. Instead of that, what he has done is he's come up with a series of plans uh, to uh, bring in different people to teach, you know, the children. Imagine you're a parent down in Florida and you're hearing that that right now the governor, governor's going to arrange for a veteran. And, and trust me, you know I have great respect for our vets. I, I, absolute great respect. But, you know, but the, they're going to – in Florida, they've got this program to hire vets. As long as you've had four years of active military duty – Firefighters or EMTs or law enforcement personnel, hire them. You know, if they've retired, gotten out, you know, maybe they want to do something different. Hire them as long as they have 60 college credit hours, okay, um, of, of college. No, no BA required, okay. Um, they'll give them a $5,000 bonus and boom, they're teachers in Florida. I mean – Really. <laughs> and uh, 
and those with uh, associate degrees, not with BAs, not with four-year degrees, um, they can go and apprentice in a classroom under a teacher for two years and then they can be a teacher. Now that one I don't know if necessarily that is such a incredibly bad idea, okay? I mean the, the concept of apprenticeship is very important. Um, I need a whole lot of details to see how that would work as to whether I would say maybe okay. Um, but but think about this. Rather than value the teachers, they're trying to come up with this workaround. And it's just – it's now, okay, so they've got a shortage of, of public school teachers in Florida. And that's their – these are their answers for that shortage. But nobody's like putting together the fact that they've got the don't say gay bill in Florida, which of course is causing a lot of teachers great anxiety because, oh my God, if the wrong thing is said in the classroom with their one kindergarten through third grader, oh my God, the teacher's going to be subject to discipline, firing, whatever. Okay, so there's that anxiety. But then there's this thing called the Stop Woke Act in Florida. So I mean, Florida's like passing all these kinds of laws to 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 prevent the teaching, the introduction, the discussion in class schools about anything related to what the world is, okay? They've got the Stop Woke Act which is intended to remove readings and discussions that might make students uncomfortable well, the subject of of skin color, American history, of LGBTQ stuff. And there is a Excuse me, a Yahoo News piece that came out, uh, picked up from Huffington Post, written by a, a, a woman named Beth Matterson, who that's a pseudonym, okay? And uh, the title of the piece is, quote, Florida has an outrageous new law targeting teachers. Here's why, why I'll be breaking it. And Matterson goes on to explain that she is a – she teaches at the university level at a state school in Florida and that um, – and that she's not gonna she's not gonna follow this stop woke act, okay? Um, she's not gonna defer, take away, or uh, uh, cease reading assignments or discussions about things like American history of enslaving people, things like white supremacy, like structural racism that exists um, yet still in America today. Um, and here's what she writes: She says, "Quote: Instead, I will do what I have always done." I will select the creative work of writers who belong to all sorts of communities and I will require students to read their stories and discuss the work and their themes. Some of those themes are difficult and may make many of us uncomfortable no matter how we identify or what community we're in. But my students aren't snowflakes, Governor DeSantis assumes they are, and neither am I. We can take a little discomfort in our efforts to become a more educated and empathetic group of people. Unquote. Um, I think, you know, I mean, this is all part of a culture shift that's going on that, that, that people are pushing back against us talking about things that are real, talking about what's happening in America right now. Um, and I really love this part that Madison writes. Remember, it's a pseudonym. But she goes on to write in this essay, quote, if we have any chance of uniting our country and finding a way to reasonably discuss controversial topics while actively working towards change, educa educators much must model how to do so. Politicians and the corporations, lobbyists, media groups, etc., who feed them 
and are fed by them, are the only ones who benefit from our discord. It stands to reason, then, that instead of promoting an educational system that seeks to include the experiences of all, DeSantis's recent legislation seeks to silence experiences that do not fit an image of America that never actually existed. It's just another strategic move in a culture war that no one wins, except perhaps those looking at a presidential bid, unquote. I love this idea of teachers, of our educators, modeling, modeling how we need to talk about controversial topics. I've got Lynette from Chaska on the line. Lynette, you're there. How are you? Hey, Ellie. How are you? I hope you're enjoying the show. (laughs) I am. You are doing fine. Stop deprecating yourself. You're fine. Everything's great. I'm listening. I didn't shut it off. Go, oh, my God. Ellie's so human today. I think I must change the channel. No, I love, oh, I've been so busy this morning getting ready for work, so I would have liked to have called in when Grayson was on. That was so sweet. Does Grayson have a twin? Is that what you were saying? Yes, Grayson does have a twin. Yep, a, 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 a female twin. Yep. Female twin, okay. And I wanted to mention that um, children are not uncomfortable. When I was in school, um, I just recently visited the elementary school where I used to go to school. We were not uncomfortable with learning things about other people. I mean, that's the adults that put that yep. on the kids. Right. That's ridiculous. Kids are not like, oh, please don't teach me about, you know, other people. Oh, my God. That's ridiculous. No, I, Lynette, I agree with you. I know you know that. But. No, but you know what? I mean, but, I mean, what, what goes on in Florida, what goes on in Texas becomes the model mm-hmm. for other places. Okay. They're kind of like the testing grounds for these incredible, horribly marginalizing things. And then, you know, they they work out the bugs and then that marginalization is kind of fine-tuned, all right? And then then other states see that and they're like, oh, we're going to adopt that. I mean, it's just, you know, uh, it's just scary as heck. It it very much is. My mom used to be a teacher and um, I'm just. I, I guess I wish I should have been a teacher now, but not in Florida. I mean, I wish I would have gone to college to become a teacher since there's a shortage. But, man, that's so much pressure to put on educators. It's oh. just... what? Yeah, I mean, in Florida and other places here in Minnesota, the, the pressure that's being put on our educators because mm-hmm. parents, and it's not a whole lot of parents. It's just a small, small, small group of vocal people. But they yeah. are showing up and making life incredibly difficult you know, if a teacher has a certain book in a classroom, well, my God, don't, you know, my view is don't have your children, child read the book. But we, we certainly want other children to be able to access that book, you know, that type of thing. Well, I just wonder, too, if, if parents are just afraid to be parents, you know, like you can't discuss issues with your kids? I mean, why are you afraid? It seems like the parents are so afraid that they can't handle the topic. I think their kids can handle the topic. The parents oh. are the ones that can't handle it. Our kid, you know, our kids today, I've been, you know, I've been in the schools in District 112 and I've talked to the students there and I, I'm just, I'm in awe, in awe yeah. of how astute those students are and how smart and how willing and, and they yeah. are to take risks and talk about things. I mean, like, trust them. Their parents don't trust their kids because they don't trust themselves. And they, it's just, yeah, they need to look at, you know what I'm saying. They need to look at themselves, really, seriously. All right. Well, Lynette, I've got to go. I've got to take a break. It's great to hear from you. Thanks for calling in. I really appreciate it. 
All right. Have a great day. Okay. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, listeners, we've got to take one more break. When we come back, I'm going to do a little bit of the C block. I don't know how much I'm going to be able to do, but we'll be back in a sec. We're back. AM nine fifty. All right. Um, I'm not going to be able to give you much. Uh, I'm not going to be able to give you actually any of the C block because of the way the time is right now. Um, and and just a programming note: uh, next week is going to be a best of LA show, and so will the weekend after that. Um, because next weekend I've got to be in Texas to speak to a hundred and some odd women lawyers um, about authenticity. They've asked me to come down and speak to them and. And I can't get back in time to do the show live. And then the weekend after that is the Labor Day. So you'll hear again from me one way or the other the weekend after Labor Day, just so you know. Here's the sad news. Um, earlier this year in January, um, I did a show. I did an interview of an idealist, Dana Nelson. You may recall Dana. She was dying of cancer. She'd been battling cancer for a number of years. A young woman. She was in her 30s. Very, very brave, very eloquent, very, very eloquent um, when we spoke. I got word this week that she she has passed away. Um, and she uh, she was an advocate for uh, compassion and choices about people being able to have make the choice about their death, okay, about them being able to make a choice about being able to end their life on their own if they were in so much pain, you know, to undo suffering. Of course, she had to go through all that pain because Minnesota does not have a physician uh, directed, physician um, medical directed um, suicide, uh, end of life, excuse me, I should be saying end of life uh, plan or, or legislation. So in honor of Dana, because I asked her on that show, I asked her what was her favorite song um, in honor of her for us to go out. And I need to thank my producer, Patrick, before we're done here. Patrick's done a great job today. In honor of her, we're going to play her favorite song. It's from Tame Impala. It's titled Lost in Yesterday. Listen to it, folks. Take care and think about Dana. Bye. Bye. 